Black Podcast. Tonight I got Doug Moore from Pyron, also rock journalist and radio personality. <laughs> radio personality. Um, hey, what's up, guys? Before we get rolling, just a couple of uh, quick site announcements. Um, if you go to the everythingwentblackmedia.com pop, uh, website, you'll notice that we have links to Stitcher and Mixcloud, and those are two new platforms that um, the podcast is available on. If you're not familiar with Stitcher, it's a streaming, uh, you know, radio type of setup, and uh, I use it all the time for uh, listening to podcasts and you know newscasts and things like that. And Mixcloud is uh, not something I would have initially thought to use, but I noticed a lot of the other podcasts I listen to use it, so I'm on it as well. Primarily, it's uh, you know, it seems like DJs use it, and um, you know, people who are putting together playlists and that sort of stuff, but. You know, we got some followers now, and, and people have been checking it out, like leaving comments and whatnot. Which brings me uh, to another point. If you like the show or dislike the show, or you don't like me personally, or I might have, like, stepped on your foot at a show, or, you know, shot you a dirty look inadvertently, and you want to, like, reach out to us and, uh, you know, leave comments, you can do so on the website, or you could also do that on iTunes. The podcast is available for download on iTunes and subscription. So if you really like the podcast, please subscribe. One last bit of news. Currently, we have a deal going with uh, Clothing Arts for a discount code for buying those P-cubed pants, which you've probably seen me wear if you've seen Tombs perform live. I'm wearing a pair of the shorts right now. Are these the pants that you always tore in? Uh, Recently, yeah. I mean, we had the P-cubed guys on a couple months ago, and it's a old friend of mine, Mark, he, um, he got involved in this company and they make this high performance, you know, clothing basically. And, uh, you know, as you know, I'm a fan of this sort of like high performance bags and, you know, clothing and stuff that lasts, you know, and is Teflon coated or made out of hemp or something like that. And that's kind of <laughs> like my like jam, you know, I got that Datsusara MMA bag, which I love all my gear around in and that thing's really cool. But anyway, if you go to their site, which is clothingarts.com, um, and you want to buy something from them, uh, there's, there's a discount code, and you can type in EWB20. That's EWB20. If it doesn't work, let me know, and I can uh, get in touch with those guys and find out what, why it's not working, but I see no reason why to think there would be any problems. So, um, yeah, once again, firmly uh, back these guys. They're good dudes. The products are cool. If you see me walking around Brooklyn or on tour or something like that, I'm usually wearing those pants. They look like those sort of utilitarian, military-like vibe. You know, they just have a good a good look, and also they last forever. And I put mine through hell, so they definitely uh, definitely hold up. So, Doug, yeah, mostly I know you from uh, as a singer for Pyron, right? So just to jump in for two seconds, set the record straight on this because this happens all the time. It's actually pronounced Piron. Um, this is a subject okay. of internal debate uh, amongst us for uh, for a little while actually when the band started and I don't remember what the thought pro- – well, so basically that comes out of – so the, the original thing we were thinking of when we named the band was uh, that the phrase Pyrrhic victory. And so we decided that that was just to stick to that and – and no, I don't. I think maybe like one person in five has pronounced it correctly since then. But okay, Piron, so, Piron, Piron. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No problem, man. Thanks for uh, pointing that out. Appreciate that. So, uh, how long have you guys been a band at this point? Um, we formed in late two thousand eight. Um, so it's actually been close to five years now. Um, uh, I guess five years in like October of November of, of two thousand thirteen. So, like, the first thing I think I've seen from you guys was, actually, I remember Dylan, your guitar player, when uh, Tombs played on the air at WNYU's, uh, was it WNYU? Yeah. WNYU's yeah, yeah. the radio station. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the college radio station. Yeah, he, do, he did a, a metal show. and mm-hmm. I think when Winter Hours came out, right before we left for tour, we uh, played a live set there, and that's how I actually got to meet, meet uh, Dylan. And I remember him asking me, like maybe a couple months later about drummers and, you know, can I recommend someone to him who could play, you know, drums, who's really good. And that right. must have been the, the genesis of, uh, of, of P 
appear on. Yeah, it was it was it was around then. Um, I'm trying to think exactly the timing. Um, trying to like back engineer this also because we um, uh, I actually incidentally met you in passing around that time because I was in a different band playing guitar and you guys played this house show show in South Jersey. Mm. Um, uh, it was a uh, Shumung, New Jersey. If I, I, I don't remember what the hell the name of the yeah, town was. Yeah, that's the only show yeah. I ever played in New Jersey. Yeah, it was like it show. was like the Conduit House. I think that's what they called it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was in a band that played for I shit you not ten minutes at that show. Like we like jumped on at the last moment because okay. we had a couple of like other bands on there, and we were like, it basically sounded like Pelican. Like <laughs> there's right. no reason you would remember it, but but then I remember thinking later like oh that was really cool because I'd never I'd never heard you guys before yeah I mean I was in the you know very um, beginning yeah yeah you guys had just started and uh, um, and I didn't I didn't put together that it was the same band for a while afterwards um, until I guess like, probably six or nine months later but it was about the same time it's like 2008 2009 that yeah. happened so yeah that was right around yeah. the same time so it must have been it's probably right exactly the same time that that happened with Dylan um, so how did you guys all get together now it's like kind of a crazy story actually oh, that's what um, this whole so for, right so I mean it's it was pretty like serendipitous right it was a lot a lot of it was just luck um, so I um, all right do you want like the medium version or the long version of this because like there's multiple different versions whatever you right. feel is appropriate <laughs> okay so I, I like the I like the long version because it has an extra irony in it and that is um, so the reason I know Dylan is because um, I, I had met his – so we basically grew up in like adjacent suburbs of Philadelphia. Right? Okay. Um, and at one point, I got in my head that I should do some volunteer work um, when I was in high school. I just like thought it would be a cool thing to do. Um, and my dad had done a lot of stuff for, for Habitat for Humanity, which yeah. is um, like this organization that basically builds houses in low-income areas um, and kind of just gives them to people. Um, it is uh, – it is nominally a Christian organization, but um, for the most part, by his account, when I was talking to him about this back then, he was like, well, basically, it's like, all right, it's the beginning of the work. They're like, please, God, don't let anyone get injured by hitting their hand with a hammer today. Amen. And that was pretty much it, right? And then you just build houses, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Like, you know, I can I can put up with that part of it. That's fine. Um, the thing is that I had to – I ended up having to go on this, like, youth group trip to do it from, like, my parents' church, and, like, that was a clusterfuck because um, it turned out to be, like, Jesus camp, basically. Um, that could be hard to swallow. Yeah, right? it was – and especially when you're, like – I mean, I was, what, 16 or 17 years old at this yeah. time, and I was, like, you know, maximum, like, teenage rage about yep. this shit. You know, just not – I had no um, – I had no patience for it. So I was, like, basically going around the whole time being angry. The only other cool person there was uh, – was Dylan's younger sister. So we like, became friends. And then like, I ended up meeting Dylan about a year after that. I was like hanging out at her house and like he walked into the basement wearing like a khaki shirt or something like that. And I was like, I should probably talk to this dude. Yeah. Um, so, and then, so that's how I know Dylan. Um, he was at, was in college at NYU at the time. And he um, basically, it was like looking for band, bandmates and he ran into our original bassist, Mike, on a subway platform somewhere and just kind of like incidentally struck up a conversation with them about that radio show that you were on actually. Um, and just like, they just bumbled into each other and like both happened to be wearing metal shirts again. So they started talking and I guess Mike, uh, knew our still drummer, Alex. Um, and basically the line, I, uh, they started playing together those three and then Dylan at one point heard something outside of recorded because I've been in bands for a while. Um, and, we like went to MDF one year together because we just didn't know anyone else to go with, didn't know each other that well at the time. Uh, and he was like, do you want to try out for this band? And I lived in Philly then, so I yeah. actually spent like two years commuting up by bus. Um, and to, you were just doing vocals? Or yeah, I was just I was just doing vocals, right? Okay. Like, um, So like I basically would come up at like pretty much every other week and do like a pretty long practice and then go back. Um, and that was like for the first two years of the band that happened, so... As a singer, you can kind of pull that off, though, I think. Yeah, right. Know? Yeah, I mean, so they practice more often than that, right? Yeah. Um, and singers in, in death metal bands being uh, as ancillary as they are, like, they're still able to they're still able to become, like, pretty tight, even in my absence. The thing is, though, you say, I mean, yeah, you guys are definitely a death metal band, but there's, um, it's not what I would consider a uh, sort of standard death metal format that you guys work in. Yeah, I mean, I use that term death metal 
because there's no other convenient shorthand for what we do. Yeah. Um, uh, especially, so we just um, we just finished up recording a new record, um, and especially on this record, I think that 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 term just doesn't really tell the whole story. Um, there's a lot of other stuff going on. What I think is kind of cool is like, um, you know, I've been a death metal fan since like the early '90s, you know, or since I found out about grind and death metal, you know, with like Napalm Death and you know, you mentioned Carcass and you know Morbid Angel and all those bands. Uh, you know, so I've seen it go through a bunch of different cycles, and there was a period of time when death metal was pretty much, you know, non-existent. Like, there was, like, a, a few bands doing it. Well, there were, there were bands playing live and touring, but kids weren't really coming out for the shows. But it seems like in the last few years, a lot of progress, a lot of progression has uh, happened within that scene. Like, there's, a ton, there's tons of bands now that I feel like are pushing the envelope and doing, like, really unique things. Um, you know, you guys are definitely one of them. I would say uh, Ulcerate. Oh, yeah, you know, for sure. Definitely. And, and I can see similarities between what you guys yeah. are doing and what Ulcerate's yeah. doing. There, there's actually, this year has turned out to be absolutely incredible for that kind of death metal. Um, it's really a lot of, so th- at the same time, there's also kind of like this like old school throwback trend that's been going on in death metal for a few years. But but this year especially, there's a ton of really forward-thinking stuff coming out. Um, uh, at the beginning of the year, there was the new Wormed record, which is amazing. Um there was a uh, Defeated Sanity record, which is like, I mean, it's I'd say it's somewhat more traditional, but still just totally batshit and wild. Um, the new Gorguts record came out. Uh, there's a new Ulcerate record. Um, yep. Geigen's got a record coming out later wow. this year. Um, there's a band called Orb Weaver um, that we just set up a stream for in Invisible Oranges like yesterday. That is um, a couple of people who were in Geigen like several years ago um, who are doing just like complete wackadoo, like psycho, future, like just really forward-thinking death metal. So so there's a huge, like, I feel like the genre has a huge um, sort of, I mean, there's also the new Ulcerate record, right, which is yeah. coming out. So there's a huge groundswell of really interesting stuff going on in death metal right now um, that we are, like, you know, proud and, and flattered to be considered a part of. So Yeah, I yeah. definitely do. Um, you know, it's... I like a lot of the sort of old school throwback stuff or like this, you know, real brutal, primitive death metal too. Like, you know, um, but, you know, I, I, I like stuff that sort of defies classification. And I feel like what you guys, you know, definitely, you know, Piron at times defies classification, which also leads to difficulties with reaching certain people. Like when you go perform live. Oh yeah, you know, people want to see like Harmony Corruption era, like <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, you know, then you guys are coming out and you got all these like you know weird textures and you know odd time signatures and things like that. We we've played a lot of shows where we get blank stares from people, um, especially when we play with band. Like we often end, just end up playing with sort of more traditional death metal bands, um, just out of default. You know, like that's just a lot of what's around is like that and. There's been many shows where people just kind of like gape at us for a while and like you slowly <laughs> from the stage you can slowly see them losing interest and then they go to the bar. Um I remember my my all-time favorite example of that was we played with um we played with Cannabis Corpse, the uh the like joke stoner version of Cannibal Corpse right. with the guy from Municipal Waste and um the room was full when we started, more or less, and it was a lot less full when we finished. I find that so sad because that happens across all genres of music. Right. I mean, even even like you know, personally, when in the '90s, in the late '90s, when I was playing in that band Anodyne, right? Um, you know, it was really hard. Like there was, seemed to be a year where there were, there were a lot of bands doing, like, chaotic hardcore, and it was it was cool. Like, there was a little bit of an interest in, you know, that style of music. But then, in the subsequent years, we would play... Like, for example, we did a bunch of Canadian dates with, uh, you know, the the, uh, the tough guy band Death Threat <laughs> and um, some other, like, Connecticut-style moshcore band. And it was, like, completely one of the worst times I had playing music and maybe like you know really disappointed in people and their sort of closed-minded ideas and their inability to make a jump into just something that's like so peripheral and such like a sidestep instead of you know it's not like we came out when we were playing reggae I mean there was right. like, this, like aggression <laughs> yeah and, like intense relevant you know yeah and, and like likewise with with Piron 
death metal fans obviously have to be aware that other types of death metal exist. And I just, to be so narrow in your vision, to only want to listen to bands that sound like early 90s, you know, like Carcass and stuff like that, I find that just sad. Right. Like very disappointing. Well, you know, I certainly have been very frustrated with that at times. Um, uh, what I try to keep in mind is that, you know, for all of the, the rhetoric of, you know, being outside the box and being a weirdo and being like some kind of, you know, renegade that goes on in the metal world, most metal fans are just like any other music fans. They're just people who want their expectations to be satisfied. They just want to hear something that like um, – that gives them that old timey feeling, you know, like of the like the first time they heard the genre and they, they it was great and they were blown away by it. People just want to often just go back to that. But I, I challenge um, that because the first time you heard death metal, you were probably listening. I mean, for me personally, you know, first time I heard death metal. Prior to that, I was listening to like maybe thrash or something, right? You know? And then suddenly this super extreme music came out. Which I got to be honest with you, like the first time I heard Napalm Death, I didn't know if I liked it or not. Oh yeah, you know, and I mean. So, you know, people want to be satisfied, but, like, you know, there's a there's a, a point where you come to, even in the most, like, mundane, like, fan of music, they come to a point where it's something new happens, you know, and you can't just play the same, like, riffs over right. and over again. Well, some people just, like, stop, though, you know? Some people, like, when they're, you know, when they're younger, they, like, have this capacity to be flexible about music and to, like, to hear something where they're like, oh, I don't know if I like this. Like, let me go back to it and give it some time and see yeah. like, whether I can, like, learn to figure out, like, what is, what's useful and valuable about this. But a lot of people at a certain point, you know, they'll hit, like, 22, 23, 24 years old and they'll just be like, all right, I figured it out. I know what I like. I don't want to hear anything that's outside of that. Um, and that, you know, I mean, death metal has now been around for 25, 30 years. Yeah. Like, you know, I think a lot of people who are, especially the guys who are older, you know, just have reached that point and they don't, don't want to hear a thing that's new. I mean, no. um, certainly there's, that's not true for everybody. There's lots of people, you know, you know, there are guys who are fucking, you know, 60 who still like hear new metal bands and are like, wow, that's awesome. Right. Um, Ultimately, the way that I look at it is this. Um, the people who want to be sat- have their expectations satisfied, um, I, you know, I can't reach those people, right? They're, they're outside of the scope and that's fine. Um, I think that for – but for everyone else, the, the stuff that people will remember is not like, you know, entombed knockoff number 19. It's the right. thing that, try, that at least tries to be its own thing, the thing that at least tries to have a personal – like its individual identity. Um, and – for people who are still interested in that, you know, or for people who are, you know, young and just getting into the genre, like, you know, you, there's still is like a, a great deal that a band like, like us can say to them. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. So after you put out uh, your, you know, self-released r- record, you guys put out something on self-made God, right? Right. Yeah. Well, it's so, so that was actually the same album. Uh, oh, so, so yeah. okay. Well, so here's, so here's like what yeah, happened. Just, just go through yeah. the whole, like, right. So here's what happened, thing. right? So like, we recorded a really bad demo in early 2009, but it like got a show, so that's how we got started. And um, and you can't find it anywhere because we like didn't even really press it. Um, then we did an EP that we um, called Fever Kingdoms that we self released. Sort of, we kind of like sort of semi self released it. We just like had it to sell at shows. Um, that was in late 2009. That got picked up by a label called The Path Less Traveled. Yeah, um, from uh, Illinois. Yeah, from or Illinois. Right? They're from uh, Indiana, I think. Oh, okay. Um, I can, it's one of the two. Somewhere I, out of the Midwest. Yeah, yeah he like he, when you when you look on his website, it says like we are in the middle of nowhere. You've not heard of it. Like, uh, and they've actually done a lot of really good stuff and a lot of yeah. stuff from New that a lot of bands from New York have been put out this label. They've done stuff with Flourishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's stuff with Tiger Flowers with Humanity Falls. A lot of bands that we you know. I've been around and have played with, you know, basically from the, that formed around the same time that we did. Um, so they put out that EP. Um, then, um, so basically he, so we were sort of working on the next record and we asked him if he was interested in putting it out and he said that he like couldn't really afford to do it at the time. So, so we were like, shit, what are we going to do? Um, and so basically we ended up self-releasing the first full length um, in early 2011 um, and that eventually got picked up after several months by Self Made God and oh, cool. rest physically. Right. So, so that's the whole uh, saga of that of getting to that point. Um, so that was, I guess, over the course of like two and a half, three years that that all happened. Cool. So now everyone lives in the same city, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so basically, when everyone was already living here um, uh, at the time, like we guess so in in two thousand nine, right after we did that first EP. Um, 
we got a new bassist who's named Eric, who's still in the band, and the lineup has been stable since then. Um, and Eric and Alex, our drummer, and Dylan, the guitarist, were all living in the area. Um, and I was still living in Philly. Um, I graduated from college. Um, I didn't have anything in particular that I wanted to do, but I knew that I had a good opportunity to play in a cool band, which is something that I'd always dreamed of doing. So I have been, you know, kind of obsessed with music since I was, you know, even before I was a teenager. So, so I saw the opportunity and I just basically moved here and hoped that it would work out. (laughs) Um, and it more or less has, I would say, you know, like. I didn't end up. It didn't turn into Midnight Cowboy. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Th- thankfully, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's what someone horrible. said when I moved here. This guy was like, "Oh, it's gonna be Midnight Cowboy." You're gonna turn into like a gay prostitute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was turning into a, like a gigolo, yeah. and like I guess like he's diving. He, he, I don't. I don't want to ruin the movie, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't pan out for yeah. that dude. No, so, it doesn't work out yeah. for him. Uh, but it did for me, so yeah. I know that I escaped the Midnight Cowboy. Fate. Well, luckily, New York doesn't isn't like that anymore. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's also like horrifying, like like 1970 New York, which is like um, measurably fucked up in a yeah. way that like people who live here now just like can't even imagine. You know, like no. I mean, I I'm actually so I'm actually from New York originally, um, and. Uh, so I, I lived here from like age zero to age six, right? And so this mm-hmm. is late eighties, early nineties, and um, I I hear stories from my parents about like going outside before I went out for school and like picking up like the heroin needles and the crack files and shit and like throwing them away so I wouldn't have to see that. Damn. Um, and like that was in like a nice part of Queens, you know? Yep. Like it's which is it's fucking unimaginable to see something like that there now. So um, yeah. change the city has been just unbelievably radical. Yeah, you can still find like sketchy stuff like oh that. yeah oh yeah. yeah for sure that that's the real irony of living here too it's like you know you pay all this money and like you know to live in these like shoe boxes and despite the fact that you're basically working so you can survive no matter what your you know income level is you um you still are surrounded by these like creeps sometimes you know oh, yeah. I mean? there's still oh, like for sure. you know stuff happens like drama still goes on like even in this neighborhood oh, yeah. point, you know like right down the street there's like always something going on yeah. always always some you know some guy like yelling at his girlfriend or there's like some car pulls up and a dude sells you know sells a bunch of drugs to someone and like you know it's like you know and it's not cheap to live here you oh, know yeah. what i mean it's like i don't live in like some ritzy neighborhood but it's you know it's it's a it's a grind trying to survive here you know what i mean the first the first um place that i lived when i moved here um was this building in in flatbush in brooklyn and um i had managed to get a job as like a busser in a restaurant um uh and my girlfriend who i moved here with was like working just like pretty low-paying freelance shit. Like, she had, she had an internship, I think, at the time. We moved to this place, and, you know, it seems fine at first, but then, like, it gets a little colder, and uh, crack dealers take up residence in the lobby of the building. And, uh, and it wasn't even that long ago. Yeah, this, this was in this is in 2010 this yeah. is happening, right? And, like, ago. a couple years ago, and, like, uh, and that was just, like, and this, is, this wasn't some, like, some Section 8 housing with that cost nothing. Like, we were paying, like, I think the rent there was like eleven or twelve hundred dollars a month. Yep. You know, like to live with crack dealers in the lobby. You know, um, it was just a fucking treadmill. You know, like I'd go to work and like be tense all day, and then I yep. come home and have to like you know like duck through the crack dealers. You know, like uh, yeah, it was hectic, dude. Like it was really it was a creepy situation, um, and that was like a, ni- a nicer place compared to a lot of places yep. in New York. So. Yeah, it's ni- nice is all relative when you when you come to this place, right? You know what I mean? I um. Some you know I I spent a time a bunch of time living in Boston a few years ago or you know at this point more than a few years ago but uh, some good friends like have now become like homeowners up there you know and and they come down and visit and they're like oh how much are you paying here and I quote them my rent and they just can't believe it because they're paying significantly less <laughs> to own a house pay a mortgage on a house and you know, have like a, a yard and, you know, storage and, you know, a place to like, uh, you know, not feel so compressed, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the question is, um, well, you should leave, but it's just like, you know, after living here for so long, you just sort of have, 
Yeah, I could leave. Definitely. I think about it every day. I think about yeah. leaving this fucking oh, place yeah. all the time. All the goddamn time, dude. But, like, you know, it's, it's, you have this network of your life here, and my parents don't. My parents don't live in the city, but they live close by. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to leave sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, when I was a lot younger, I used to try. I lived in many different places all over the country. But, uh, you know, you start setting up roots and, uh, you know, you don't want to give that up. And then suddenly this is where you live. Yeah. And then also you don't have enough money to move because you spend it all on rent <laughs> and getting a metro card. And, you know, every time you leave the city, you got to pay someone across a bridge, you know, and all that yeah. bullshit too, you know. I always joke that there's a reason that Escape from New York is a movie. It's because it's really fucking hard to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've, I've, same thing for me. You know, like yeah. at this point, I've only I've only been living here for three years, but I already right. like I have put roots down in yeah. the way that you do. You know, and that yeah, makes it really hard to get away. And, yeah, you know. and like all the bizarre. Yeah, I mean, the reason that I moved here was the band, and I'm still here for that. But all the bizarre, insane shit that you deal with just living here. You never totally get used to it, but like it does begin to seem a little bit more normal and a little bit less oppressive, you know, just by default. That's what humans do. Humans adapt to the surroundings. Um, and so eventually, um, as you, the longer you stay here, that like that just desire to get out just gets gradually less and less urgent. Um, and eventually you just, you just, that's your home, you know, like that's just where you're used to being. Um, I do believe that there's a sort of terminal mass, you know, limit to, um, the amount of people per capita that should be around you. Oh yeah. I mean, I, it, it blows my mind that this place doesn't fucking collapse. I don't understand it. Like, like one of the things I think about on a regular basis when I like go I'm on a subway and it's one of the subways that goes over a bridge Yeah, and you get the, you know, the, the infamous view of the skyline. It's very beautiful. All this stuff. I just look at it. I'm like, there are like Dozens, if not hundreds of feet of hollow chambers beneath these enormous steel and glass and concrete skyscrapers. And they, they continue to dig down into the bedrock, yep. right? I mean, they're digging two new subways in Manhattan right now. How has how is it not literally collapsed? I mean, it's an amazing engineering feat, of course. But, like, it's just impossible for me not to think about that. It doesn't seem sustainable, you know? It doesn't yeah. seem like it's – it's amazing that it's lasted as long as it has to me. Well, that, that's a, it's an interesting term, sustainability in a place like this, you know. The thing I trip out on is how, you know, we're sitting here in this, this room, but literally 20 feet in either direction is another group of people. Oh, yeah. And we feel like we're alone, but if you really took like a, you know, a thousand foot view of where we're sitting right now, we would be surrounded by people. And that's sort of unsettling, <laughs> Yeah. You know? Like I think about that sometimes, and I think about just... Being around that many other primates and having like that energy and the way primates react when they're crowded in like an area with limited resources and whatnot. And that makes me trip out about New York City because that's why everyone's so aggro and like, you know, you're on the subway and like, you know, I, there's many things in my life that I do to help me manage anxiety <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. you know, and, and <laughs> all sorts of like, you know, things that I do that, that keep me like calm and. You know, I'm able to deal with, like, stress differently or, you know, better than I, I could be, be dealing with it. But just the utter look of terror in some people's faces when you're when that door opens on the subway. Yeah. And it's like this, this mad rush of humanity out this, like, crack, you know, this escape valve. And I'm just thinking to myself, and, like, everyone sort of tumbles out of the subway, like, rushing off to, like, the next place, which is just a place they're going to sit down for eight hours a day, you know? And, like, the other thing that blows my mind, too, is, like, where I, where I work downtown, like, I'm in the financial district. You know, I'm not, I'm not like, a banker or anything like that. Right. But that place is a trip to go to, though, that's for sure. Yeah, like, I take the E-train all the way, all the way to the end, the last stop. Right. Right by the World Trade Center. And uh, there's, there's no, it stops. The train stops, you know, and the doors open up. And at that point, there's, like, maybe, you know, like, eight people in the car. Everyone will still get up and form a line or a crowd to the front of, you know, you know, to the door. Yeah. They'll bolt. And I'm just know? like, dude, you know, just like take it easy a little bit. You know, <laughs> this can't be good for you to like be pushing so hard all the time for nothing. You well, know? that, I mean, that is just a product of, I mean, this whole treadmill effect that we were just talking about, yeah. right? Like if, when you're used to having to like battle and scrape and fucking, you know, just strive for everything all the time, uh, 
guess what? That attitude's going to affect every aspect of your life. I mean, this is something that's that it creeps into uh, my writing for for the band a lot. It's just yeah. like the constant, just the constant sense of tension and stress, and um, and just having to strive and battle for things that like not. I mean, it's not, not just living in New York, though. That's like the direct inspiration, right? But just like. I mean, living in any fucking major metropolitan center, right? Like, yeah. You know, many, I mean, even yeah, Chicago, like yeah. LA, like it's a little bit different. But LA it's still is the, way different, though. But it's still the same yeah. thing at the end of the day, right? I mean, you're still battling to survive in some way, right? Um, yeah, I, I uh, the last time I was in LA, I remember um, walking down the street and there was like no one bumping into me. Were you were you in, in like the central part of LA? We were in uh, like West Hollywood. Okay, yeah, because I remember. Because I, I, I've been in L.A. only a handful of times. The yeah. last time I was there was about a year ago. And in, like, downtown L.A., like, because the whole city's, like, spread out, right? Yep. You walk through downtown L.A. and, like, have, like, a fucking 50-foot gap between you and the next, yeah. next closest person. Which, like, was almost even more upset, unsettling to me because I'm so used to, like, yeah, literally agree. having other humans standing on top of me. I'm, I'm, uh, I, don't, I don't like people cr- crowding around me, really. No, no, I, mean, I, I can't stand it. One of the nicest things yeah. about my life right now is that I, I work from home for the most part. Yeah. And so I don't have to pack into a subway every That's day. That's great. It's incredible. It's, it's so awesome that I don't have to deal with that because I, I get claustrophobic, man. Like, it creeps me out thinking about all those people right around me. I, um have these tendencies to get like really sort of um you know I'm always looking around to see if I got to jack somebody like real quick you know <laughs> like whenever I'm in a situation like that you know and it takes a lot for me just to kind of like calm down and, and be composed in those scenarios but uh yeah I don't I you know in the financial district down there around the World Trade Center and you know it's like people are looking down at their phones they're bumping into you they don't say excuse me they're just like you know the ultimate sort of singularity of consciousness, you know, just people who don't care about anything but what they're doing. And it just is a drag, I think. Right. Well, I mean, I guess it's also like a defense tactic, right? Like if you're surrounded by a world that's oppressing you, um, what can you do? You can't change it. You well, can ignore it though. Right. But, but ignoring it, I feel puts yourself at a disadvantage. It's like you're, you know, yeah, you're ignoring it, so you you walk into trap and get run over by a truck, right? I mean, or like, you get, no, you get I, robbed, or someone <laughs> rapes you on a train, or something. Yeah. Like that. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. That, I don't I don't believe that. I agree. All. I agree with you, but yeah. I I understand the logic, and I think for some people that's just the only option that's like you know that's available to them. They're just like, how can I possibly reduce like the oppressive like sensory input that I'm always getting? Yeah, I can like look at this little screen. I can manage the screen. It's tiny. I can deal with that. I always shut everything else out that I won't freak out because that's like the natural response is to freak out. I mean like people who never been in a city like this, you put, you put them on a crowded subway train, they have a fucking panic attack, you know? Yeah, I don't like, blame them, man. Yeah. I understand that completely. Yeah. But but yeah, you know, I, I um, there's, a, there's things about LA I dislike, but I do like the fact that you can walk down the street and not have people bump into you, you know? I've been so like, I feel like my whole life I've been programmed to think that LA is the worst place. Like, I feel like it's got a really bad reputation on the East Coast. Um, People say it's like, yeah. oh, it's this soulless pit. And I'm like, well, a lot of my friends live there, so I yeah. like it, you know. But. Yeah. I mean, to me, like, it's, you know, New York's soulless pit, too. It's the same shit. It's different, different industries are based there. Um, yeah, that affects the character of the city, but. Well, New York is a mercantile, mercantile city. You know right, I mean? yeah. It's, it's about trading. Trade. about, yeah. like, you know, banking and trading. And there's no real, I mean. There's no place really for the arts in New York City, ironically. Right. Unless there's like a big payoff available for somebody. Right. You know, it's like really hard to be in a, like, you know, you know, being in a band. Like, oh, yeah. how are you, the inc- incredible amount of money that's spent just on rehearsal spaces yeah. and things like uh, that. Don't even, ugh. You know? Yeah, that shit's rough. I mean, uh, the arts and the fact that there's museums and, you know, Lincoln Centers here. Well, it's institutionalized art, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, it's like something, a, something with major financial backing. For, for rich people. You know? Right, basically, you know? for rich people. So, yeah. like, you know, some um, dude who's making high dollars can go and take his family to, like, you know, get cultured. You know, right. That's basically what it is. You know, or, like, the big, you know, Jay-Z or something rolls through town or, you know, whatever, plays a big show somewhere, and it's, like, you know, these big big events you know but if you're trying to be creative and sort of do something on your own you don't really it's it's incredibly hard here you know and yet people do that here incessantly yeah. i mean like it's i don't 
it is inc- I mean, beyond the reputation of, of New York as like a, a, a hotbed for the arts, um, it routinely just surprises me that so many people come here to do that. Because I mean, I mean, you're walking into a meat grinder, right? Like we've been talking about, um, and yet it still thrives. I mean, New York City, like metal and hardcore scene, is far and away one of the most vibrant in the country, if not the whole world. So, um, uh, I think it speaks, you know, it's rare that I say something good about human nature, but I think it speaks to how resilient people can be and how stubborn they can be when they want to pursue something like that. Yeah, no, I agree really with it. that. Definitely. Um, you know, but it could be easier. I think. Yeah, you know, oh, totally. Else. Yeah. I mean, I often wish that I just got everyone to move to Philly instead of <laughs> even Philly is easier to, to tolerate. Yeah. In that sense, I know? like Philly. Honestly, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I love living there. It was great. Um, yeah. it's affordable. Yeah. There was plenty of stuff to do. You know, I never got bored living there or anything like that. Um, the music scene wasn't as active, but there certainly was one, you know. I think there's yeah. been – Philly's known for having a pretty good music scene. Yeah. So in addition to doing the band, you do – you're primarily – your main – your writing is like a lot of what you do, right? Yeah, yeah. Journalism. Um, yeah. Um, I, 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 I try to shy away from, from, from calling myself a journalist because <laughs> – that is, I think, a, a um, morally and ethically lofty position that music I... Music journalism? Yeah. Well, I mean, music journalism less so than other forms, you know? But, like, I don't want to go around being like, hey, guys, I'm a journalist, you know? Like, I'm a music journalist. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I write about music uh, a fair amount. Um, I write for I write for Stereogum, the indie rock blog. Um, I write for um, Invisible Oranges, um, which is a metal blog. It's, like, the main thing I've been doing as far as that goes. Um, and I occasionally will contribute something to this or that other place. Um, I wrote for a website called uh, MetalReview.com for many right. years, which became uh, which became Last Rights um, pretty recently. Um, I, I don't really work with them too often anymore, but I'm still good friends with a lot of those guys. So, um, so yeah, so I, I do a lot of that stuff. Now, being involved with uh, Invisible Orange has also propelled you into the radio personality business. <laughs> yeah, that's too, that's right. Um, Invisible Oranges has a um, we have a um, a weekly web radio show um, uh, that is hosted by uh, East Village Radio, which is a um, I think a, a re- pretty long running uh, establishment. Um, I actually I was not familiar with it until we started working with them, but um, but we, yeah, it goes every Tuesday night from ten to midnight. I would say I probably do it like. Once or twice a month, usually. Um, is, is it a weekly thing? Yeah, the show is every week. Um, I'm not on it every week. Right. Um, yeah, so basically it's me uh, and some combination of the other um, Invisible Oranges editors. Um, so usually it will be me or um, Fred Pissarro, who's our editor-in-chief right now, or um, uh, Wyatt Marshall does it a fair amount, as does uh, Scab Casserole does it. Um, who, when you were on the show, Mike, yeah. uh, it was it was me and Scab doing yep. it. Um uh, we get we usually get a, a guest. Um, you were on the show at one yep. point, a couple um, few weeks ago, like yeah, a month like ago, three or four weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, who who else has been on there recently? Uh, Jer Hayes from Pig Destroyer was oh, okay. on there recently. Um, uh, Bill Dozer, who runs the uh, oh, yeah, Acheron, man. was nice is going to be was on there a couple days ago. Excellent um, guy. Yeah, really nice dude. Um, uh, this coming week we're having uh, Brandon uh, Stosoy. It's pronounced Stasi. I actually oh, the don't know black how to pronounce metal academian. Uh, the guy who runs pit, the Pitchfork Metal coverage. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I, I actually don't know how to pronounce his last name. So if, so if yeah. he's listening to this, sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, but he's going to be on there. Um, who else has been on there? Um, we've had a fair number of band dudes. Ken Mode was on there not oh, too yeah. long great, ago. Good, yeah. great guys. Yeah, really nice dudes. Awesome band. They're mm-hmm. playing here uh, tomorrow night. Actually, uh, damn. Yeah, it's them and Tiger Flowers, I think, maybe. Where, where's the um, show at? This is at Vitus. Huh, yeah. right up the street from here. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, uh, they've played New York City, it must be, 15 times this year. Um, yeah, they've, they've been on tour a lot. They have been living on when, the road. When their like, record came out, they, they've been on the road a lot, hard. For yeah, like the last few months aggressively them and yeah. the other band that's really been doing that is Inter Arma. Yep, um, who have just been dogging it yeah. for the, this entire year. Really, they both put out records early in the year and have not stopped touring, as far as I can tell. Since then, um, it's really impressive. Never having been in a band that, that tours aggressively like that, I can only imagine how draining it is to do that for really long periods of time. Sure, uh, uh, but they seem like they're enjoying it. I mean. Uh, Certainly is you know helping them. I've seen both of those bands several times this year. Played with Inter Armbro at one point. 
um, in June. Uh, incredible live band. Really, really, really fucking band. good live. Um, but yeah, so that's the radio show. Um, I do that. I started doing that, I guess, two months ago, um, three months ago. It only started pretty recently. Um, and it's a lot of fun, you know. Um, I had a great time yeah. doing it. Yeah, it's uh, you really just like put together a few DJ sets and shoot the shit about metal. It's great. I wish that could be my job every day, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really fun and easy, you know. I, I like putting together playlists. Like, I started doing that with the, you know, with the, everything went black. I started, I put out one playlist, like an hour of material, just to, you know, people will check it out. Because I was, you, you know, doing stuff for, um, uh, you know, uh, Cult Nation. Yeah, you did the Cult Nation one. I remember that one. Yeah, actually. that's like the second or third one I did for them. Okay. And, uh, they're fun, man. You just put them together. You you know write some words about the songs and why you chose them, and you just kind of put it up there. I enjoy listening to other people's too. So oh, yeah, I mean that's like that impulse. Like that's always been something that's really like affected me. You know, like, that's yeah. a big part of the reason I started writing about music. It's just because like I, you know, I'm a music nerd, and I find out about lots of bands. You know. And I just really feel compelled to tell people about them and to show show them to people and to like you know kind of just try to get them you know uh, into more people's heads. Um, and so like so I mean I have been making mixtapes and mix CDs and things like that a lot since I was you know a kid. And, yeah. Um, and really I think that like the the music writer thing is just that same thing kind of writ large. You know, it's with a, a bigger audience. Um, yeah. Even for IO, sometimes I'll, I'll do a mixtape. I did one for um, about two years ago. This most person I can remember. I think I've done one since then. That was just like basically like, all right. So here's all these weird death metal bands from over the years. Like you may not have heard of, you know, like maybe you haven't heard of Human Remains before. Like um, here's Human Remains. You know, maybe you've never heard Demolic. You know, here's Demolic or Demolich, I guess it is. Yeah. Um, or maybe you've never heard Sickening Horror. Here's a Sickening Horror track. You know, and like I just wrote a little thing about each one of them, and it was one of the most fun posts I've ever done for the site, you know, like, yeah, that stuff's fun. Yeah. I, 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 when we had cassettes back in, you know, a couple hundred years ago when I was a kid, <laughs> uh, that was like a big favorite thing of mine to do, like make, you know, mixtapes off of records, like LP records, you know, hit pause, you know, change this, change this track, let it roll. You know, uh, one of my favorite things was to make like, mixtapes for girls just to sort of show them how cool I was oh, yeah. and how obscure and like you know that I like all this like obscure cool music but you know mostly I, I don't think they ever listen to them really I was gonna say I tried doing that a couple times back in high school and I'm pretty sure the only message I sent was attention girl I am a fucking freak like yeah. I'm a real big weirdo who spends all of his time listening to weird ass music like <laughs> You want to date me? You know, right. <laughs> like I don't think it, I don't, that that may have worked once, but I kind of doubt it. It, may, it, may, it worked once or twice, but yeah. You know. Well, I think the girls were like, "All right, well, you're weird, but I can look past this," you know. Yeah. <laughs> or the girls that like like that stuff anyway. No, yeah. they're in the know already. Yeah, you know? right. Well, the town that I grew up in was really pretty limited about that. I grew up in a very boring suburb um, where. I was there was maybe like a couple, one or two other people who had any interest in like kind of out there music, um, you know, a handful of people who were like that, and everyone else was just you know basically listening to Dave Matthews Band. So yeah. Um, so if anything, like um, I was really lucky to have you know grown up right at the beginning of the internet age because even though I wasn't like um, around a lot of people who were able to introduce me to that stuff, I could like there's a way that I could find it on my own that was. Um, uh, that was like feasible given like the very small amount of money that I had access to, you know, like, um, you know, like people talk, say a lot of bad things about the internet and the way it's affected the music business, you know, it has affected it negatively in many ways. But, well, it, it defined but, negatively though. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, if you're a band, I don't think it's, well, all right, let's put it this way. If you are a band who's trying to do it on your own, the internet is a crucial tool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like, I think overall, like, the effect of the technological change over the past, you know, like, 20 years or whatever um, is more or less been, like, um, a net neutral, right? So the negative thing that always everyone brings up, it's like, oh, well, downloading is cut into record sales, right? And that's just, that's just inescapably true. Like, yeah. You can't really argue with that. But there's all these other things that have become so much easier for bands uh, because of modern, uh, you know, 
communications technology and sort of just like modern digital technology in general, right? Mm-hmm. So first of all, there's like um, internet as a promotional tool and a way to get the word about your band out there to people is just like on another level from anything else that's ever existed, right? It's just like yeah. the, the, the most efficient way to do it by far. Um, people say like, oh, well, like there's too many bands. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. There's too many good bands. What a horrible problem to have. Yeah, um, well, there, there's too many bands, but not all of them are good. Right. Well, that, that's so, yeah. that, that, as a music writer, I'm you know very aware of that because yeah. I routinely listen to bad bands. But like but people like – I mean the, to me, the complaint that like, oh, well, the internet is like – means it's too easy to like find out about bands and it's not as special and all these things that people say. I'm like, that to me is like kind of whatever, you know? Um, but, uh, the other thing is that it's gotten so much cheaper to record music. That is the thing that I think has really made the biggest difference is that like used to be that, you know, recording budget was like to get a professional sounding recording. Um, you had to spend, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. You have to go into the studio. There was a whole like, uh, clusterfuck of cutting tape and like you know the entire process was just much more cumbersome much yeah. more expensive and now you can you can make a professional sounding recording for fucking two thousand dollars if you want to like uh, or less you know depends on how good you are and like how much gear that you have you know like uh, people doing crazy stuff on no budget and to me that's awesome like you know a band like mine probably would not be able to exist if it wasn't for this technology um, if it wasn't for the fact that we were able to like, because we basically for both for every recording we've done so far, we raised the money ourselves by working our jobs, um, and then we went to the studio and we paid for it ourselves. And the reason we're able to afford to do it that way is because things are so much cheaper than they used to be. Um, so to me, that's like an incredible, incredible improvement that uh, that modern digital technology has made possible. It would have never been possible. 30, 40 years ago, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it gives it kind of puts a lot of power back in people's hands. Right. However, if you're a record label, then you're kind of fucked. Oh, yeah. You're, oh, yeah. You're, <laughs> yeah, you're completely I mean, screwed. I mean, we were t- before we went on, we were talking a little bit about um, the increasingly dire straits that, that record labels are in. Um, and I, you know, say what you will about record labels and their propensity to dick people over and all of these things, right? But um, I still have a fair amount of uh, um, affection for them as an institution. And I'm not looking forward to watching them eventually die out, which is just inevitably going to happen in the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe not so much die out, but just operating on the scale that they're operating on is probably going to change. You know, I mean, I think that, I mean, you've seen, I've seen it just in my relationships with different record labels. Like, there's less people working there. There's a smaller, it just scaled down. You know what I mean? Right. And it's, if that's what, it is required, then that's what's required, you know? And I don't think you're going to have guys, like, rolling through town with, like, Rolexes on who are A&R, you know, dudes and, right. you know, doing cocaine off of, like, you know, chicks' tits and driving around in, like, limos and stuff. <laughs> that's those days, I feel like, are coming to an end, yeah. you know? If they're not over already, I mean, like, it's... I don't, I don't really know how much that behavior exists because my contact with the music industry has been exclusively through metal, right? Yeah. Which is, like, a pit of no money, basically, you know? Like, like... I don't know if you've ever encountered people who are doing stuff like that. Is that, no. is that, yeah, that's not even like a fucking thing in like, I you know, maybe, I guess, like maybe hip hop. Yeah, but I mean, like, that, there are but. definitely people out there who make money off of music, you know, right. playing music. And I imagine that world to be like filled with like cocaine and, and you know, booty chicks and, <laughs> you know, limousines and stuff like that, you know, but like, you know, certainly not anything I've ever been involved with is anything close to that. I was going to say, we picked the wrong fucking genre. <laughs> yeah, we blew it on that one. Well, yeah, but also, like, I like to be proud of myself and sort of, like, look myself in the mirror in the morning I feel like a chump. Yeah, I feel like there's there's a trade-off there. They may not get it now, but they'll get it eventually. Yeah, like, that's karmic debt that has to be paid by being shitty, you know. So, do you like that cup of coffee I gave you? Yeah. So, this is bulletproof (laughs) coffee. Bulletproof coffee. I talked away from the microphone. Uh, That... It has butter in it? Yeah, man. Yeah. I've, I've heard of putting butter into coffee before. And also MCT oil. MC, so why don't you explain what MCT oil is? No, it's I'm, just like I'm a cent- neophyte. centrifuged uh, coconut oil. And, um, you know, if you there's a lot of different, like, nutritional benefits of that. You know, you can actually use it to, like, um, you know, for skin skin rashes and skin infections, too. You can really? rub it on there and it helps. It's like a antibacterial as well as, like, a energy source. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Another, another coconut oil is like, uh, I, I don't know most of the terminology for it, but I know it's really, 
It's got like the good vegetable fat in it. It's like it's it's like an avocado or All something. Right, yeah. See, right? Now that that's like, really the the whole meat of, the, of it for me is, uh, you know, I, I like to eat, you know, I like to burn fat instead of sugar and starch. You know what I mean? Right. So like my I have like an incredibly high fat, high protein, high fiber diet with like no starch or no sugars. So the MCT oil plays pretty heavily in that, yeah. as well as the grass-fed butter, too. Right. That's not just any butter, oh. Doug. Okay. <laughs> it's from a grass-fed it's, cow. It's, it's some awesome grass-fed cow yeah, butter. Dude, it's not you know, <laughs> laden with hormones, and the cow didn't eat any corn, any of that kind yeah. of stuff. So I'm kind of like... I mean, I eat, I would say, probably reasonably healthy for like a you know musician, a, a metal musician in his mid-20s, because like, the average diet for that... Uh, demographic is like pizza, beer, and like Haribo candy, right? Because um, uh, I like, you know, I'm I'm interested in physical fitness. I like train pretty hard, just to like keep myself like ready to ready to play live shows. Honestly, is a big part of it because like I have a very physical performance style, and like I can't just be out of shape when I'm on stage because I'll die. Um, so, so I'm like. I'm like halfway into that stuff. Like, uh, yeah. I have a I have a really disgusting like post workout meal that I eat, which is like basically just, um, it's like tuna fish, uh, uh, hummus, and uh, sriracha hot sauce. I just put Damn. it in a bowl and stir it, and it's not that bad. It's not really as bad as it sounds. Um, basically, all it is is just like vegetable fat and like yeah. lean protein. Well, the uh, sriracha's got like all kinds of stuff. Well, yeah, but like that's why I said halfway there. Yeah. You know, like I just also yeah. want it to not taste like heinous. Try you know? uh, try putting an avocado in that tuna. I actually I usually eat avocado with that. Also, like I, I like yeah. mixed tuna with avocado, maybe a little sea salt, a little bit of like lemon. I know? would just try to eat like I when I, when I first got into this because like, like I only started really caring about this about you know two ish years ago when I realized yeah. that like. I had to start thinking of ways to eat healthier with like the limited amount of money at my disposal. Otherwise, yeah. I was just going to turn into like a weird blob the way you know most people do eventually. Um, and I tried to, I would just try to eat like straight tuna fish. And Can't do it. It's impossible. Yeah, it's, I have to have like it's olive oil. literally it's fucking impossible. Like it's it's like trying to you know you've seen those people try to eat a spoon of cinnamon. Like there's like this this whole like viral YouTube thing with mm-hmm. these like these teenage kids trying to eat a whole spoon of cinnamon can't be done and it, it's it, you can't swallow it you know yeah. like you they just they just cough and like cinnamon sprays everywhere and it's really funny usually but that's what eating that's what eating straight tone is like it's flavorless heinous texture like the thing I worry about with that is I know that I'm sure it's full of mercury too yeah so like definitely um, <laughs> but like so like but what can you even do to get around that. Well, I, you know, just eat it in moderation because the thing is you have to look at the concentration, like the, the way things are projected. I mean, you know, you are – you have – you're eating stuff with mercury anyway, you know. It's right. It's to be like not eat tuna like every single day. Right. You know? Well, and that's, not, and that's also part of my consideration with this whole thing is like I only want to spend so much of my mental energy like thinking about my diet, right? Like – Sometimes I honestly just want to like, all right, I'm going out to dinner like with some friends. I want to eat a burrito, you know, like, um, right. So like I have, I'm cognizant of it, but like there's only so much I can really justify investing in it, you know, cause like I'm not a, I'm not an underwear model or something like that, you know, there's no need for me to have like, you know, 3% body fat or or whatever. Well, it's not good to be a 3% body fat anyway, but but like the target is like six or something like that, six or seven. Yeah. I think pro athletes are like five to seven percent usually so yeah i mean you need fat in your body for many things right i mean but but i mean for me i have a very i just like eat a few different things every day it's the same it's easy because you know just i have the components all in my kitchen and i just make a different combination of those components every day and it usually involves some kind of meat you know oil (laughs) you know some sort of like Kale or you know broccoli, like vegetables, nuts, like things like that. You and can tell that you're in a true uh, Brooklyn hipster metal band because you eat kale on a regular basis. Why? Who says that? Uh, that's like just the cliche thing that everyone brings up about hipsters is they love kale. Oh, really? Yeah. I like to have um, someone say that to me. I'll fucking. Them <laughs> out, I've been eating kale, dude. Kale is like, I mean, I don't know. Now it's cool to like kale, but like I've always liked kale. I always thought kale was like a. A superfood, you know. Well, that's it is right. Yeah. Like you know? it's hard to prepare, isn't it? It's like kind of a pain. No, in the dude, ass it's to... easy. Yeah, 
it, there's nothing hard right, about I'm used, to, I'm used to regular salad. All you, you, you got to do, you, uh, like, you can either steam it or you can lightly saute it. Yeah. In oil. I just remember that like my girlfriend and I tried to make it one time and we completely fucked it up because we have special non-cooking skills and, yeah. and it ended up tasting just like bitter ass cheeks. You nice. know? Dude, it's like, important to know how to cook. Yeah. It's like, you well, gotta, I know how to cook certain things, right? Yeah. Like I've got limited cooking proficiency, you know, like – um, but if I really fuck something up the first time, I just get like annoyed at myself and I'm like, I'm not doing that shit again. You just got to keep know? it simple, bro. Yeah. That's it. You just got to keep it simple. There's only like one or two things I do cooking wise and I just put it all together. You know, that's it. It's like, you know, I got, you have to get good shit, like a iron, you know, an iron frying pan and like a, you know, something to cook, like a yeah. big pot to cook stuff in. Stuff that's going to last you forever, man. I, th- I guess that's the, my philosophy, even going back to the bullet, the, um, the pants, you know, those, <laughs> those PQ pants. I want to buy like minimal things that last for a long time. Yeah. So I got like that iron pot. I got like a stainless steel, like coffee, uh, you know, uh, you know, French press and stuff that's going to, I'm going to carry with me. You know, I'm not going to like buy a new one next year. I'm in the same camp, dude. I mean, I hate replacing shit. Yeah. I wear all of my clothing into the ground, yeah, right? Totally, like yeah. for like, I have t-shirts that I bought. When I was in high school, did bad shirts. I just refused to let go because you can still wear them. There's nothing yeah. wrong with them, you mm-hmm. know. Like, um, I've got like the bag that I use is an LL Bean bag because LL Bean will replace their bags forever. Yeah, they don't stop. You just like I actually need to send mine in because like the zipper fell apart after like five years of abuse, and uh, you send it in, they just give you, they just fucking give you a new one, you know. Like, you see, that's um, a real commitment, man. I like that, you know? right? But. uh Getting back to just cooking for a minute, it's like you just there's only a couple of different techniques, man, and that's it. And then I don't like eating out because who knows what the fuck they're giving you, man. And it's like I there are certain physical demands I have, and also I was injured for a few months, and I wanted it was I wanted to recover, so right. I just researched what I needed to do. In addition to being under the doctor's care, I went like an extra step, you know, went a little took it to another level with nutrition, and I was like, okay, you know, stuff like beef bones, collagen, stuff like that. Right. You know, making beef broths. And I got I to gotta tell you, man, I believe that stuff all helps. And it's like if you want to operate it like at a high level, like, you know, mentally and physically, I think the, build, the first step is eating well. You know? Right. And, and for me, I, mean, I love going out to eat, man. I, I love nothing more than hanging out on a Friday night, you know, some nice Thai food or something, man, something good, and just kicking it, you know. But also – that's that's maybe once a week. Right, yeah. I mean, you don't want to do that on a regular basis. Yeah, but on a well, daily basis, I just got to keep myself fueled, man. I got to keep myself fueled up. What was, the, what was the injury that you had? Uh, it was a torn meniscus, and there was some cartilage damage okay. in my left knee. Yeah, I think knee. you told me about this at one point. Actually. It's been plaguing me all year, man. Yeah. And finally, like, I actually had to take um, about two months off from every any kind of, oh. like, training activities. And uh, just do physical therapy for like two yeah. months. It's and, unbelievably frustrating. I had a couple of like I, – I still have some things that are kind of nagging me. But last year, I just had like – this is actually something that maybe that I was thinking about a lot when I was working on the new Puron record um, is like I had all these weird injuries that kept on happening to me during like that year. Like so I had uh, I had uh, plantar fasciitis in my foot. I was doing a lot of long-distance running. I was okay. like running like – 10, 11, 12 miles a wow. day sometimes, you know, like, you know, like not every day, but you know, like I'd say probably three or four times a week I would go on these long ass runs. Um, and eventually, and I was also, uh, the tail end of this was still working in a restaurant. Um, but basically, so like I, so I got this plantar fasciitis, which is like this, uh, connective tissue injury in your foot where it yeah. starts to like, it just tenses up and gets really yep. irritated. And then like you walk on it and it gets worse. So that happened then about, uh, nine months ish after that, I uh, we played a show with the headliner was Origin. It was at Vitus. Um, I remember that. Yeah, show. really fun there. show. Yeah, I yeah. think you were there actually. Yep, um, I was. And I was doing my usual fucking like you know wild man routine on stage or whatever. Um, and the next day I woke I woke up with this weird like uh pain in my like hip and my groin, and it turned out that I had a sports hernia. Um, which I didn't even like, I didn't know what that, I barely knew what that was before this happened to me. Um, but that ultimately required surgery. So I was out of it for like several months yeah, after that, sucks. which is, you know, it's really lame Horrible. abdominal surgery. Um, but also even before I got the surgery, I was like still able to exercise a bit. And, 
I got IT band syndrome yep. in my yep. in my left knee. Um, yeah, that dude. Go ahead. Yeah, which Go is just it. like all right. So if you don't know what that is, then it's like. Uh, um, Basically, like there's this, this band of connective tissue that goes on the outside of your knee, and when you run, you like there's a, the flailing motion that your leg does, um, and as to kind of like pop over the side of your knee when that happens, and if that thing gets gets inflamed or irritated, you are going to be dealing with that for for months minimum, yeah. like months on end. You have to strengthen your joints and that side of your body. Yep. You have to stretch it on a regular basis. You might end up taking all kinds of crazy anti-inflammatories. Um, so like. And there's which goes back into the food thing, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I'm saying like um, in general, like that. That's why like I don't like to rely on other people for preparing food for me because um, ingredients are really important, man. It's like eating, controlling what you take, putting in your body, because the current processed food and like diet that most people are on is like a inflammatory diet, man. Like you, if you you can solve a lot of your problems with food and eating differently and just like you know, that sort of philosophy as well as paying attention to things like your posture and how you, you walk and how your body mechanics are and things like that. Because, and also sitting down, like, you know, that's not a natural position for us to be in. Yeah. I mean, I, this is something actually I've been thinking about for a pretty long time and I just haven't done it yet. Cause I, I mean, I, I mostly work on a computer, right? Yeah, well, so do I. And, I mean, right. Every, yeah. Know, every day. Yeah. Days. Yeah. You're, yeah. Yeah. The vast majority of people, certainly in New York city, the vast majority of people are, are, are yeah, know. we're not out like working the land. Right. Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, I guess if you're like, if you're, if you're a server in a restaurant, then good for you. You're on your feet all day. Yeah. Um, though you're like stooped over half the time. Yeah. But you're probably carrying even, stuff. Yeah. In yeah. This very uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Way, no, you know? I mean, and you're probably also like walking on, um, on a tile floor or a wood floor, which is you know yep. um, also destructive to your body because yeah. your body's designed to have bare feet and be walking on like uh, loam or like, you know yeah, like grass, grass or something, or something yeah, like something that, right? Yeah, to it. exactly, right. So, um, but like I, it, it, you can feel it in like when you're like in your lower back, especially like. I've had I'm apparently very injury prone because I've had lower back problems since I like I heard it playing football when I was in like middle school, um, and and I I can fucking feel it all the time because I'm sitting in this chair and even though it's like I've got a pretty nice desk chair it's got good lumbar support and all that stuff but still like but that that position is not something we're supposed to be in right exactly yeah so I really want to get like a standing desk you know yeah. like and I can I'm sure I could just like you know cludge one I could just like pile up a bunch of books on my desk and put my computer on top of it and like. Um, but it just, ugh, I don't know, like, uh, you definitely feel it. There's, a, among many other components of modern life that you just feel gradually destroying your body and breaking you down, you know? Yeah, but uh, there, there's, there's ways of managing that, man. It's right. like, there's, there's a whole movement now with, in, like, conditioning and, you know, physical therapy and whatnot, where it's like, yeah, okay, we have to sit in front of a desk, we have to do these certain things. But there's, there's by being diligent about how you, hold yourself like your your posture and like keeping keeping flexible and things like that you can avoid a lot of injury that way and that's something i've been working really hard on because of the last i don't ever want to be go through what i went through this last like few months ever again right i mean if i if i get injured i want someone to like break my leg or like knock <laughs> me out or something or like, you know i want something that i didn't cause you know right I mean? yeah well especially because like if you're someone who's interested in in like you know training your body and yeah. in like you know and being fit and being you know active and able to do stuff, in- injuries that you did to yourself by doing something stupid are the most frustrating yeah. thing because yeah. you're just stuck. You're just stuck sitting on the couch, like you know, um, not really able to do anything. Yeah, just getting yeah. depressed. You know? Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I remember just like sitting like after my surgery because I couldn't even really work because like you know, um, you know I was just kind of loopy and you know I had, was full of painkillers and all this shit. Um, I remember just sitting on the couch watching Star Trek The Next Generation, which is, don't get which me wrong, awesome. it's a yeah. great fucking show, and I was really glad that I got to watch it again, because, you know, like, I only watched, before that I watched it as a little kid. Um, but still, it's like, you watch, like, seven Star Trek episodes yep. in a day? Like, you are in a bad place, totally, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. even Netflix is like, is like, bing, bing, like, are you okay out there? Like, do you really want to keep watching this shit right now? You know, like that's a bad sign when a online, you know, uh, streaming service is like, Hey, are you all right? Like, really? Yeah. Is that something that really <laughs> it doesn't, has, it actually doesn't, doesn't actually say that, but it periodically goes like, are you sure you want to keep watching? <laughs> like, really? And I was just like, 
Yes. <laughs> Maybe that's like because they thought you might have. Oh, it's it's, it's definitely because you might have passed out or right, like walked away or whatever. But I never got to that. No, either. but oh, I've gotten to that a few times, huh. especially during that period because there wasn't a lot else I could really do. Yeah. You know, like it was really really boring, and I hope never to have it happen again. So. Huh. Um, so yeah, so stretch basically is the message here. Like, yeah, well, you're talking about lower back. I mean, a lot, a lot of those is like hamstrings and you know, like knee problems all come from your like glutes and your the IT band and mm-hmm. your calves and it's all it's all a system, man. It's like when you have a car, you know, something goes wrong here and then you results are some you know the results right. are somewhere else. Yeah, well, I think the knee thing probably partially happened because of my. The sports hernia, because like that was That's on the other side of my say. body, yep. and I was I'm sure compensating for this like weird like you know. Well, you know the fascia, you know that connects your whole right yeah. operation, man. And yeah. That's kind of like with acupuncture. It's like you know you got a problem here. They're shoving needles into your between your right. fingers and in your forehead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, it's like it's like the force or something like that. You know. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> if you know? one part if you affect one part of it, you affect the entire thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, don't, I I know that's not a proven science, you know, but it's it's more esoteric i guess to some people and some people don't believe in acupuncture but well it's got like pretty robust clinical results as i understand it's starting to come along but there's also these like you know naysayers who don't want to you know don't want to believe yeah and things like that i mean as far as i'm concerned if you can if you can generate like a pretty solid clinical result with uh you know you know a double blind trial then you know i I don't need to know what the mechanism is, yeah. you know, and I certainly, I'm, I'm not a doctor or an acupuncturist or anything of that sort, you know, yeah. but like if it works, it works. Well, I mean, I've had acupuncture done on me and I think it's, it's worked, man. Like I, during my whole like journey and trying to heal myself with this knee injury, you know, I had acupuncture. I mean, I went to an orthopedic specialist. I was doing physical therapy, like all this stuff. I have to say it's hell. I, I will testify that it helped me. You know what I mean? I 100% believe in that stuff. You know, but of course, there's like, you know, those like sort of the same people who probably like maintained that Galileo was wrong, you know, that there was like, <laughs> you know, I remember before, like when, when Newton had his theories of, you know, physics, they were just, oh yeah, man, we've, I think we figured everything out. That's what, that's what people were saying at that point. Right. In the Newtonian physics world. And right. then suddenly there's Einstein that comes along with his theory of relativity and kind of like, yeah, maybe this, this, this works here. On this terrestrial plane, but like out in the cosmos, there are different laws that govern things. You right. know what I mean? And that's yeah. kind of like, yeah. But there, are, I'm sure at the time there are people that were like, no, no, nope. Force equals mass times acceleration always. Right. Time yeah. is a constant, like that kind of stuff. Right. You know, so you know, people who are like, sort of like turn their nose up to these more like esoteric like healing methods. All I have to say is like. Motherfuckers have been healing each other with this shit for thousands of fucking years. You know, like Eastern medicine, that shit's ex- predated any of this fucking pharmaceutical bullshit that's going on now. And motherfuckers seem to be doing okay. Right. You know, you know I think it's really, it's hard for people to know what to believe about this stuff. 